Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's going on, you guys? Welcome back to the Neighborhood Podcast. I'm one of the hosts of the podcast, Kevin Valentin. And I'm the other host of the podcast. My name is Kyle Dabro. Kev, what's good, my guy? How you been? You know, busy, busy weekend. Uh, and by busy, I mean I ain't do a damn thing. Kind of sat back, watched some college football, watched that Redeem Team documentary on Netflix, which if you guys have not seen it, go check it out. It is crazy. And then, of course, it's Sunday, man. Just watching football all day, so can't really complain. I mean, for me, I'm pretty happy. Uh, the Pats won. Brady won. Uh, your boys came through last week in probably one of the worst games ever. But a dub is a dub, nonetheless. So This is true. Overall, I mean, I can't complain about this past weekend, especially like for my teams. My teams did what they needed to do. Brady got the dub and probably got a little bit of help from the refs. Just a little bit. You saw that rubbing the passer penalty that, that, I, that they called. I, don't, I mean, I agree with Warren Sapp. That's some bullshit, but... Yeah, because I thought that was a clean tackle. That was a clean sack. League's getting soft, bro. I know. You might as well start throwing pennies on the guys or th- start putting actual flags on their hips or something like that because I mean, if that's going to get called the roughing the passer penalty, you're not that far League's away from trouble. flag football. Yeah. They, they got a whole bunch of different issues on top of that, too, the whole concussion thing. Oof. And not only that, I think Teddy, Teddy Bridgewater ended up going into the concussion protocol. So now they got two and I didn't, Teddy. Even, and... I, I, didn't, I didn't even see that game, bro. I was like, dude, two and not playing. I really don't care. And then I saw the score starting to get run up, and I was like, oh, my God. Yeah, Jets kind of did him dirty, though. Kind of dirty. Slapped him up. Yeah, I mean, you know. Well, when Tua gets back, I think that'll probably... It's, it's a different team when he's on the field. We all know that. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, I thought Teddy would do his thing, but, you know, he's knocked out because of a, a concussion. Third string quarterbacks. Ugh. Not much very, you can do. Very hit or miss. But uh Kev, we got a pretty good slate to go with today. Obviously, we'll be going a lot over uh week five. We also had the baseball playoffs coming up uh this weekend with the ALDS and the NLDS, but so we got we got some stuff to go over. Oh, without a doubt. So I mean we'll just kind of dive right into it in terms of the agenda. Um right now, guys, the Bengals are currently playing the Ravens and the score is ten Cincinnati, thirteen Baltimore going into the fourth quarter. So we'll keep you updated as that progresses throughout the evening. And then first on our agenda is going to be the Cowboys and Rams. The Cowboys advance to four and one and the defending Super Bowl champs fall to two and three. Cooper Rush improves to 4-0 and on the season, 5-0 and in his career, albeit he didn't play the greatest game in his career, but again, it was just barely enough for them to move the ball offensively, and Matt Stafford continues to struggle. Then we're going to go into the Giants and Packers game, which happens to be probably the upset of the weekend, just because nobody had the Giants winning this game. By no means was it going to be a blowout, nobody predicted it being more than maybe 10 points or so, but 
the Giants go and beat uh, the Packers across the pond, and they move on to four and one, and then Green Bay falls to three and two. And then the next game, Kyle's team, it's a little bit on the confusing side for me. Again, no disrespect to the Patriots, but they go and they not only beat the Lions at home, but they go and they give them a goose egg. The league's highest offense, the league's best offense, doesn't score at all. And the Patriots look like they're starting to figure out that defense. So, I mean, we'll let Kyle kind of dive into that, let him have his moment. It's been a couple of weeks. And then uh, to kind of close out the football conversation, uh, the 49ers are back and they just they slapped up Baker Mayfield, and they just they just absolutely obliterated the Panthers. Um, Jimmy Garoppolo looked solid. The running game with Jeff Wilson had over 120 yards rushing. The defense looked absolutely incredible, even though Nick Bosa leaves the game with a tight groin. So we'll kind of see how that progresses throughout the week. But overall, the 49ers look to be getting back into their usual groove. And um, I think people should start watching out for them. And then as Kyle alluded to in terms of baseball, the baseball playoffs have begun. The wild card round has now just rounded out. So we will get into the matchups per NLDS and we will kind of make not predictions, but we'll talk about each uh, each series and why it's going to be beneficial, why it's going to be fun to watch and who do we think will come out. So we'll kind of figure that out as we go along. But overall, great month for sports and we cannot wait to get it started. So Kyle, let's just go right into it. We made a crazy TikTok that is kind of touching and flirting with 200,000 views about Cooper Rush. If he were to win, why, would why there got, be some kind of... Why you got to flex like that, bro? I mean, I got to flex a little bit. You know what I'm saying? I gotta, it's, we do what we got to do out here. Sometimes you got to put yourself out there. So for those of you not checking it out, go check it out. The Neighborhood Podcast on TikTok. Um, yeah, Cooper Rush does what he needs to do. But the Cowboys defense is the anchor to this team, the heart and soul of this team. And they absolutely obliterated Matt Stafford. So Kyle, I got to get your thoughts. Are the Cowboys for real, or are the Rams just that bad? I think it's a little bit of both. Uh, when it comes to the Cowboys, they've been like this the entire season so far. Uh, they're not lighting up the scoreboard offensively with Cooper Rush at the helm, but he's able to put them in positions where they're at least getting points on the board. And as far as I see it, it's a winning formula for Dallas as a whole. And not only that, they're getting good contributions from Ezekiel Elliott and Tony Pollard. And in this game in particular... I thought they stepped up to par here. I think combined between the two of them, they had about 150 yards rushing. And, you know, going up against the Rams on the road and being able to do that, to be able to move the ball up and down effectively against that Rams defense, I thought that was a solid mark for the Cowboys offense today. Like you said, Kev, obviously Cooper Rush didn't light it up. He only had 100 to 105 yards passing, but he didn't have any turnovers. And look, he's not going to be the best quarterback that we've ever seen play the sport, but he's not screwing it up for the Cowboys at this point. And as far as I see it, it works out for them as a whole, but really when it comes to the Cowboys, their defense is by far and away the biggest takeaway here. They played outstanding. They held the Rams to 10 points. Now, granted the Rams have had their issues. I'll get into that a little bit later, but with this Cowboys defense, I've just been shocked at how good, They've been playing as a unit. Their pass rush has been solid. And we saw it once again today. They had five sacks against Matt Stafford. This is one element that I think when Kevin and I were assessing the Cowboys before going into the season that we completely missed. Now, granted, I did pick the Cowboys to represent the NFC East uh, at the end of the year as division champs. But even I didn't see this defense playing at this level this early. And it's really just been Micah Parsons, Demarcus Lawrence, Trayvon Diggs has been solid so far. I, I mean, there's this is a good unit. Now, I don't know if it's going to maintain that way, 
once Dak gets back into the fold and they start hitting uh, the middle part of the year. But they've been incredible on the defensive side of the ball. And if they're able to maintain it, they're going to be a really good team shaping up in the NFC East here. Now, let me kick it to the Rams here. The Rams have been very disappointing this year so far. And this has gone long enough as far as the Super Bowl hangover uh, is concerned. We're five weeks into the season. I give a little bit of leeway for the first month because as far as I see September, it's an extension of the preseason. Teams are still figuring it out. Well, we're five weeks in now. And when I see this team offensively, they just don't have it. And I mean, outside of the Rams as a whole, I just don't know how this team is going to be able to figure things out because they essentially have the same personnel. Granted, they did lose uh, OBJ and uh, they lost Robert Woods, but I'm just shocked that they just can't get it together offensively. And the way that I see it is Matt Stafford is really struggling. And I don't know if it's going to continue. But through the first five weeks, I have not been impressed by Matt. He's turning the ball over consistently, and they're just not able to get any sort of consistent rhythm on the offensive side of the ball. And this is one of those situations where we're looking the Rams dead in in the face right now, and it's like, can you step up offensively to get points on the board? Because I think that their defense is actually pretty solid. It's just that their offense is doing no favors for them. And until the offense kind of gets it into gear, I think that defense is going to be on their heels by and large until they get it together. I'm just really kind of worried about the Rams right now because this team should be performing a lot better than what they've been playing for the first five weeks. They still have plenty of time to be able to turn it around. I'm not saying like their season is over. They're at a two and three record. You could be in a lot worse situations than that. But yeah, the way that I see it, the Rams got to step it up here. But I mean, just to kind of round out this whole analysis, the Cowboys are legit. They're playing like it. Their offense is doing enough. They're not turning the ball over. And defensively, they are bringing hellacious pass rushes. And they're forcing turnovers. If they're able to do that consistently for the rest of the year, this is going to be an interesting team, especially when Dak gets back. And Dak's going to be returning within a week or two from that thumb injury. And as far as I see it, if that defense can maintain that level of play when Dak comes back, yeah, the Cowboys are going to be the driver's seat. That's just how I see it. So obviously at this point, I am just looking at this from a Dallas perspective at the moment. Cooper Rush could have played a lot better. Obviously, there were some plays where I thought that there were some receivers that dropped some passes that maybe ran the wrong route. Again, he only had six incompletions, but overall, he did not flash anybody with the performance that he had. But again, like Kyle alluded to, he did enough for them to win. The defense kind of ran the show today. Pressuring Matt Stafford, quarterback hits, tackles for losses, I mean, batted down passes, turnovers, you name it, they did everything they needed to do. Now, I'm going to lean on something that a lot of people continue to tell me I'm crazy about in that freaking TikTok video that I'm talking about and say that the the, the Cowboys' rush def- offense is atrocious. You want to know how many rushing yards they had today as a team? They had 163. In three out of their five games, they have rushed for over 100 yards. Not necessarily anything crazy, but they're middle of the pack in the NFL. If you continue to run the ball as effectively as they have between Pollard and Ezekiel Elliott, and you continue to dump the ball over the middle of the field, gain 10 yards, 5 yards at a clip, Cooper Rush doesn't have to do anything fancy. Like we've already said 100 times, you don't need to go for 400 yards and 5 touchdowns to win. Like Kyle said... If Cooper's successful here, why in the hell is Dak not going to be successful? This is going to be a scary team because this offense continues to get it going just enough. This defense is already firing. 
we already know that the connection between Dak Prescott and those receivers, as well as Dak Prescott and that offensive line with how he can read certain uh, defensive schemes, make adjustments at the line of scrimmage, he's proven to be very good at what he does, albeit he hasn't won in the postseason by any means. But right now we're in the regular season, so we'll give him a pass. But we already know Cooper Rush is not Dak. And Dak Prescott is 10 times better than Cooper. The only reason we made the conversation about keeping Cooper in was because Dak was being accelerated from Jerry Jones and pressured, you know, maybe Dak can come back this week. We, we, we want Dak to be back as soon as possible. This is a thumb injury on his throwing hand. And last I checked, without your thumb, you can't exactly hold a football. So you guys need him to stay healthy and recover on a normal scheduled time as opposed to rushing him back two, three weeks early. If Cooper Rush is moving this offense that just fine and the defense is carrying, why rush Dak back? I just don't understand the pressure that Jerry's putting on him to come back as early as he wants him to. And if next week is the timeline, then so be it. It'll be a showdown for the NFC East that I will be at, thankfully. The Eagles versus the Cowboys and Sunday Night Football is going to be crazy. But flipping it over to the Rams... Matt Stafford, five touchdown passes, seven interceptions. He's been sacked probably a league-leading amount of times. I believe him and Matt Ryan lead the league in sacks, which is 21 after five weeks. And they have almost identical records in terms of uh, touchdowns to interceptions. Obviously, Matt Stafford, excuse me, obviously Matt Ryan has a whole lot more fumbles, unfortunately. But these quarterbacks look very similar. I don't think Matt Ryan, excuse me, I don't think Matt Stafford is washed. It's the offensive line. I think it's the fact that they can't get a rhythm going outside of throwing it to Cooper Cup 100 times. He had 10 targets. The next closest person, oh, Tyler Higby had 10, but that was a lot of checkdowns. And then Ben Swarick or Score Ronick or whatever the hell his name is had eight. But it's really Cooper Cup or nothing. And he had that 175-yard touchdown, and then the offense was unable to move successfully in the second half. They did not score at all. So I'm looking at this, and I'm saying... The Rams defense, like Kyle said, was able to do enough. They sacked Cooper Rush three times. They did what they needed to do to at least give the offense opportunities to put points on the board, but the offense is stagnant. Aaron Donald is exhausted. Bobby Wagner's not what he used to be, and Jalen Ramsey did pretty solid when he was put against Cooper Cup one-on-one on the outside, but, you know, you, you Jalen doesn't necessarily... You mean CeeDee Lamb. You mean CeeDee Lamb. CeeDee Lamb, excuse me. I don't know why the hell I just went on that tangent. Um, I just, I feel like the Rams just aren't the same. And Odell Beckham wouldn't change this necessarily. It's not that different of a team. I think it's the offensive line with the retirement of Whitworth and the shuffling of some other pieces. It's just, this is prime example of a good team and a good Hall of Fame quarterback that doesn't have an offensive line. This proves the point of what I say about my team. If you don't have an offensive line, you're not going to be able to move the football effectively. So with that being said, Dallas moves to 4-1, and one. they played an exceptional game, and then you go out and you pretty much just annihilate the Rams in every facet of the word. I know it was only a 12-point game, but when you shut them down in the second half to zero points, that's the second time that's happened in this season alone. They'd lost to Buffalo Week 1 the same exact way, and if Dallas's offense was a little bit more comfortable, you'd probably say that this could be easily a 21-point blowout. So kudos to them. We'll see what happens. And uh, yeah, no, next week's game's going to be crazy, bro. Yeah, I think just to kind of look at the Cowboys as a whole, the one thing I'm going to be focusing on with them is their defense. Because, I mean, up until this point, I think they've had to be a little bit more overachieving just because they know that the offense is going to be not as, how do I say this, fluid because of Cooper Rush compared to Dak Prescott. And I think, you know, when you have that dynamic going on at the quarterback position, it's putting the defense in a situation where they know that they have to step up and be 
probably the primary force on the reason why they win these football games. It's not to say that the offense isn't doing their part. It just seems to me that the major reason why they're winning these games so far, it is largely predicated on what the defense is doing game in and game out. The interesting thing that I'm going to pay with attention to them is when Dak gets back, are they going to take their foot off the pedal on the defensive side of the ball? Because they know that they have to step up when Cooper's there, but are they going to play a little bit a little bit too soft with their coverage when Dak comes back? Because they have a feeling that, okay, well, if Dak's back, that means the offense can kind of run at a higher clip than what they've been doing so far, and they can play a little bit more lax in their coverage. Obviously, you know, if you're a Cowboys fan, you wouldn't want that. You still want them to be performing at a high level. And at this point, I don't really see anything to go against that. It's just that I just wonder if that the dynamic of the defense is going to slightly change just based on the fact that Dak is going to come back where they don't have to be as locked down defensively because Dak could go out there and score 30 points and you could just beat teams offensively instead of really holding the opposing team to 10 to 15 points per game. That's just going to be something that I'm paying attention to because we have seen things like that in the past. I'll give you an example from last year. Remember when the Chiefs were really struggling in the first half of the year last year, but their defense was playing outstanding? And then when Pat and the offense finally started to get into rhythm, their defense wasn't as top-notch compared to that first half of the year when they were really struggling. I just have to see if that actually happens with Dallas here. Because if Dallas goes through something similar to that, then it kind of puts like the emphasis on their defense and what we originally thought they were going to be defensively this year. A team that was really weak defensively. But for the first five weeks, they've been overachieving. Is that largely based off of just, they got to do that because Cooper's there? And are they going to do that once Dak comes back? And at this point, you know, time will tell when Dak actually gets back into the rotation. But, I mean, bro, they've been stellar defensively. And I never thought that was going to happen going into this year. It's not exactly a sentence I would have used prior to the season beginning to say that Dallas has one of the best defenses in the NFL. It's just but you understand unreal where to me. You understand where I'm coming from, though, right? 100%. You, you, you're, you're, your star is back. Your franchise is back. Oh, we're going to be able to put some points up. We can relax a little bit. We're not going to be on the field as much. Let's cool it. Let's not put you know as much pressure. I don't think it's going to happen because I think Dan Quinn demands too much from his defense. I mean, for God's sakes, people are saying that Dan Quinn runs the team and Mike McCarthy is just merely a scapegoat. So I don't think that he's going to allow this unit to slack at all, especially I don't think Micah Parsons is the type of person to take a playoff. No. So I, I not- understand exactly what you're saying. Trust me, I do. It's just a matter of will they take that gamble? Because if Dak starts off slow, he's got to shake off rust. That first hit... God forbid he hits his hand on something again. We don't know what's going to happen. Or just, I think or just this being defense ta- has to play at a, or just being tackled, like as you're going on the way down and just trying to land, you know, off of that throwing thumb. You know, that's going to be tricky. But I, I think when it comes to their defense, it's just I, I don't want to say like they're going to like just take plays off and they're going to be lackadaisical in their coverage. I'm not saying that. It's just that when you're running at such a high clip because you know that you have to because the offense is kind of running at maybe 80 to 85% speed compared to what it would be like if it were Dak. I just wonder if they're going to take a little bit of, you know, pressure off of the pedal. So instead of running at 110% the entire time because Cooper's there, maybe they drop it to 90, maybe they drop it to 95. Yeah. You know, and I just have to see whether or not that they can maintain that level of play that they've had so far through the first five weeks 
when Dak comes back because I think in all likelihood that offense is going to be scoring more points when Dak gets back into the fold. More than likely. I mean, they had better for him getting paid, what, $40 million a year or whatever it is that total amount is. So if he shits the bed, that is 100% on Jerry Jones for giving him that amount of money regardless. So that's neither here nor there. We got plenty of stuff to talk about rather than this damn Cowboys. They did their thing. They're at the record that they are. They're good, Yeah, they, they are. They are. They are. And like I said, aside from me being at that game, even if I wasn't, that is a must-watch game because the NFC East right now is the best division in football, and it's who not close. Thought, who would have thought that? Who would have thought that? Nobody. I didn't. Definitely not. Nobody, bro. Not a soul. Not a and soul. The, the AFC West is still popping, though. It is popping, but when you have three teams fighting for first place, two two at four and one and one at five and oh, I mean, then, then there's the commanders, but nobody thought they were going to be good. <laughs> Carson Wentz, how you doing over there in Washington? Feel good? Yeah, yeah, yeah. For those of you saying that he was going to be better than Matt, shut up. Anyway, uh, we're really? going to move on. Really? Really? Hey, there's a difference, though. One of them has no offensive line. The other one has a stellar room of wide receivers and good running backs. There's I, no I, excuse. I, I may be uh, paraphrasing here, but I think at one point you've called Matt Ryan a 50-year-old man because that's what he looks like. Right, because when you're pressured at every single aspect of the offensive line from the A, B, C, D, E, F, G gap, what, what the hell do you want an old man to do? Carson's not getting pressured like that. Carson's just making mistakes on his own, like he did in that game against Tennessee, which, by the way, thank you for that. I needed you to do one thing and score and win so Tennessee can fall in the division, and you can't even do me that favor, so kiss my ass, Carson, once. Um, you said you wanted to gut the team after... When that game was going on against Denver the other day, you wanted to gut the whole team. I want to gut the entire offensive line for sure, yes. But that goddamn defense is the only reason why we're relevant right now. So we have two wins in the NFL, averaging 13.8 points per game. Your boy Gilmore against two good teams. Your boy Gilmore came up with some decent plays in that game. Saved y'all. Gilly Lock ain't no joke, bro. Gilly Lock ain't no joke. But so continue. What do we got here? All right, we got. I just wanted to bust your balls. That's all. I know. That's fine. So. We're moving into the next game, which was our game across the pond in London. The New York Giants faced off against Aaron Rodgers and the Giants. <laughs> well, excuse me, Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. I can't really sit here and say that this game was exciting by any means. This was just kind of an entertaining game. I mean, the Giants only scored two points. Excuse me, Green Bay only scored two points in the second half, and that was because of a safety. The Giants defense is no joke. The Giants defense is a top 10 defense in terms of overall defense, and I think it showed. Albeit Aaron Rodgers didn't exactly have the worst game in the world because he had two touchdowns, over 200 yards passing. It's not like they went and did all of the big things like forcing turnovers and all these different things. They did enough. They tackled well. They limited third down conversions, and they were able to halt the run. They had, what, Aaron Jones only had 63 yards. A.J. Dillon only had 34 yards. Now, I know that that sums up about 94 yards in total, but in terms of what Green Bay's been able to do is run the football effectively. They weren't able to do that, and the Giants' defense did well. So, Kyle, I'm flipping this over on your side. Are the Giants legit? Or, similar to the last question, honestly, it's kind of weird. Um, are the Giants legit, or is Green Bay's offensive woes just that bad? I'll start with the Giants here. Kev, I'm going to be honest with you. I understand that they're 4-1, and one, and... It may be kind of a weird point to say just that the NFC East is really competitive this year and the Giants are a part of it. But this is going to come off as hating. 
when it comes to the Giants, I, I just don't know if I have faith in them long term. Through the first five weeks, they've been solid. The only loss that they had was a competitive game against the Cowboys where they lost at home. They actually had some chances to win that game. They just kind of let it slip. But the one thing that I've seen from the Giants so far this year is they make some really good second half adjustments. And in this game in particular, I thought they did a fantastic job essentially locking down Green Bay in the second half. Because if I remember correctly, I think this game at halftime was 20-10. to 10, And it just seems like the Packers were in a rhythm, by and large, through the first half. The, you know, Aaron Rodgers, granted, you know, there's still some issues when it comes to that wide receiving core and just not being able to, to lock up uh, the chemistry with the younger receivers that they have, like uh, Christian Watson and Romeo Dobbs. But the first half, I thought they had a really good half and then the Giants just locked it down defensively. And not only that, they took advantage of the Packers not being able to move the ball down the field in the second half. And they essentially scored 17 unanswered points, unless you count the freaking safety at the end of the game, which I don't really consider. That was just kind of a symbolic point at that point. But I just am really impressed with the Giants' ability to be able to just weather the storm and be able to just move the ball effectively in the second half. And granted... I've said a lot of things about Daniel Jones. I've never never really been his biggest fan because he has a tendency to turn the ball over really consistently, but didn't do that today. So he was able to lock it down as far as not being able to intercept the ball, not fumbling the ball. And as far as I see it, if Daniel Jones is not turning the ball over, it's at least giving that Giants offense a chance to be able to produce here. And Saquon Barkley, I understand that he's gone through some pretty significant injuries the last couple of years, but this is the healthiest that he's looked in probably the last two years. And he's having a really solid start. Now, granted, it wasn't his best day, but had 70 yards rushing, averaged about five and a half yards per carry, had a tut. I mean, it's consistent. You know, they definitely made a point of emphasis to run the ball against the Packers today. And I thought that by and large were successful. And I think that's just how they're going to do it. They're going to be able to own the, the time of possession and just make strides to eventually get into field goal range or to score points as far as touchdowns are concerned. And even though that I don't really see the Giants like being this super contender in the NFC, I still believe that there are better teams in that division, specifically with the Cowboys and the Eagles. But if they can maintain this moving forward, I think that there's a chance that they could maybe play upset or they could definitely play, uh, they could be like a joker uh, type of role coming in later into the year. But a four and one start is nothing to, is, you know, nothing to be ashamed of. It's a really good start for them. I just don't know whether or not they're going to be able to maintain it. When it comes to the Packers, I'm not really too worried about them. Uh, they just couldn't score in the second half. Uh, Aaron Rodgers is just going to lock it down with the receivers. But I think that will kind of improve as time goes on. But yeah, giving up a 20 to 10 lead at halftime, got to be better than that. Can't give up 17 unanswered points uh, to give the game away. But, you know, we're five weeks into the season. There's still a lot a lot of time left for the Packers to get into rhythm here. Uh, this is a game they probably should have won, but give credit where credit is due. I thought the Giants stepped up when the Packers couldn't capitalize uh, to extend some drives, and the Giants made the most of it. So good on them for a 4-1 start. But like I said, I'm still a little bit iffy when it comes to the Giants. I don't know what, if I could trust them long-term yet. I'm hype. I'm not a Giants fan, but I'm hype. The Giants haven't had a record like this since 2009 when they were 5-0. and Pretty sure that year they won the Super Bowl. No, no they didn't. They didn't. They, no, they won the Super Bowl the next year. 
they won in 2007, 2008, Eight. and then 2011, 2012. Right. Okay. So I'm a couple years off. Never I know mind. because I know because they did it to I my know, team. I know. I know. I know. So I'm a little bit off. But Daniel Jones, he had a freaking passer rating of 100, a QBR of 75, was sacked one time, no turnovers, no touchdown passes. But he didn't need to because everybody else was doing what they needed to do. They ran the ball effectively for over 125 yards in the ground and three rushing touchdowns. When your bread and butter is running the football with arguably the better, the best back in the league this year, Saquon is him. That's because he's from the Bronx. We breed demons. You heard it here first. Um, you, I, I, dude, there's not much you can say. He had over 100 all-purpose yards. He made huge plays when it mattered the most. He did leave the game with what looked to be a shoulder, inj- shoulder injury, and he came back, and he played great. Saquon Barkley looks like he is the Saquon of his rookie season. He seems to have put the injuries behind him, and he is doing what he needs to do to be a veteran on this team and lead them in the right direction. Now, the reason why I picked the Giants to lose this game was because the receiving core was empty. That's the word I'm going to use because I'm trying to be nice. Um, Darius Slayton was the best receiver. They didn't have Galladay. They didn't have freaking... Robinson. They didn't have Kadarius Tony. I mean, the, the list, like their injury report for wide receivers was truly and honestly unbelievable to believe. Like, wow, you cannot have every single receiver on this roster hurt. And yet they do. So they found a way to do this against one of the better teams in the NFC, against one of the greatest quarterbacks in NFL history, and one of the more solid defenses in the league as well. I understand that home field advantage was taken away because they were in London. Maybe the time difference, maybe there was jet lag. I don't know. You can list a thousand excuses as to why the Green Bay Packers lost this game. But here we are, and the Giants are 4-1. and one. The Giants' defense was able to hold Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers to 22 points. They kept Aaron Rodgers out of the end zone in the second half. The safety that they acquired was only because Brian Dable was trying to drain clock and didn't want to punt the ball back with the risk of a punt return touchdown. If you get a safety, the ball st- the the play ends there. You get the two points, and then you have to punt it away. Which at that point, you have thirty yards outside of the end zone to punt it out of the uh to punt it thirty yards away or punt. I am stuttering ridiculously, so I apologize. When you get a safety, you don't tee it off like a kickoff. You have to punt it from the thirty yard line to the opposing team. Which at that point, once it touches the opposing player's hands, the clock stops. Versus a punt. Once that's put in the air, and God forbid somebody runs that back, that's a tie game. So there was no chance Brian Dable was going to let that happen. And here we are. Brian Dable needs to be talked about as a very, very early coach of the year, turning around one of the worst franchises over the last five years into a competitive, realistic, solid team in the league. Now, I know that their schedule hasn't necessarily been all that impressive, but against good opponents or against the opponents that they've played, they have, for the most part, kept them... Under wraps. I mean, Dallas scored 23 points against them. Green Bay scored 22. And if I'm not mistaken, Green Bay, in terms of Aaron Rodgers, is a better quarterback than Cooper Rush. And that's a one-point difference. So they also limited Derrick Henry, one of the best running backs in the league, to under 100 yards rushing. So you have to look at it in small increments like that. They're making it happen with pretty much no-name personnel outside of maybe their, their top draft choice, which, of course, I cannot pronounce his name. And I have it here. And I'm like, it's Kavon Thip. Is it Thibodeau, like Tom Thibodeau, but spelled differently? Yep. Okay, so it is Thibodeau. Yeah, I think it's Kayvon Thibodeau. Kayvon Thibodeau. So, you know what I mean? Like, the Giants are making do with what they have, which is very, very little in terms of named players. Obviously, Daniel Jones didn't get his fifth year picked up. 
and he is playing good enough football, similar to Cooper Rush, where he's not necessarily doing anything to win you games, but with his mobility, he's actually doing stuff to keep your drives alive, extending plays. And with Daniel Jones being one of the better rushing quarterbacks in the NFL, um, he's found ways to make the the Giants a almost like a dual threat kind of capability, not to the extent of a Lamar Jackson, but you also have to adhere. If he does escape in the pocket, he can make plays with his legs as well. So with that being said, the Giants are four and one. I'm super happy for them. Shout out to my boy Santino, who's a super big Giants fan. I really do hope that they continue to play at this level because it will be entertaining as the season progresses. If Philly stays at to- up top, if Dallas stays up top, if the Giants stay up top, you're literally talking about three teams that could potentially make the playoffs out of one fucking division. Obviously, I know that's not going to happen, but it can. So we'll we'll leave it at that. But man, I thought it was a great game, um, and I thought the Giants looked really, really good. I just, like I said, you know, it can come off as hating. It can come off as just being not really, I, I don't want to be too prisoner of the moment. I just have to see the Giants go up against better competition at this point. And I think that's fair to say, because when I look at their schedule so far, the only game that I would say that had a lot of consequence going into it was probably the Cowboys game a couple of weeks and back on Monday close, night. Man. It was a close game, but you know, if you're going to drop a divisional game, in that manner, you only lost by a touchdown. So, I mean, it's not the worst thing in the world. But, you know, for me, it's the offense. I'm not worried about the defense. I think the defense has been stout so far. It's just, to me, this all comes down to whether Daniel Jones can perform. I don't worry about Saquon. The only thing I worry about Saquon is his, is, is his availability, whether or not that he could stay healthy. And that's really been right. a big key of point, just looking at how... He, his career has gone the last couple of years because he just hasn't been able to stay on the field. And I think something that we have to consider once we get into late October into November, really like when you get, get into that gritty stretch of the football season, do they have enough personnel in their wide receiving core? Sterling Shepard done for the year. And Darius, Tony can't stay healthy either. He's out here hurting both hamstrings in practice. Like that's unheard of, you know, and Kenny Galladay, they paid all that money for him, hasn't been able to Scrub. do anything. And Darius Slayton, when you really look at Darius Slayton, he's probably like a fourth or fifth option on most teams. You know, but he's being inserted essentially as like a number two and maybe even arguably a number one spot right now, just based off of the circumstances in their wide receiving core. And as far as I see it with the Giants, they're going to go up against some teams later on this year that they're going to test that person out. And I don't know if the Giants necessarily have the requisite pieces to be able to really run it with some higher-end teams. Not only with the Cowboys in their own division, but they got to deal with the Eagles. The Commanders, I understand that they haven't got off to a hot start this year, but the Commanders can play them tough because those divisional games are always tough to play out. You never know how those games are going to work out. If if Daniel Jones fumbles the ball once or twice and the Commanders take advantage of it, the Giants could lose those games. Carson might give it right back. Who Carson knows? can, yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't the, I don't. Uh, that could definitely happen for sure. <laughs> but you know, you know best, bro. You know best. But it might be a sloppy ass game in general. I just think, I don't worry about their defense. Like I said, it's just whether or not I think their offense is going to be able to produce. And at this point, kind of similar to what we've talked about, similar to what we've talked about with the Cowboys, they do enough. And if they don't turn their ball over at least gives your team a better chance. I'm not saying it's going to lead to a victory every single time, but it's probably half the battle. 
is not losing the football, not turning the ball Huge. over. So good on New York, though. You know, great. I know this game was in London, so it wasn't really technically a home game for the Packers. And I don't know if it would have played any different had they played this game in Lambeau. But, you know, for the Giants to go on the road, get that dub to go to four and one in the season, that's a good start for them. And, they, and honestly, they need to stay competitive in that division because, I mean, they're running neck and neck with the Cowboys right now. And both the Giants and the Cowboys are trying to get after the Eagles. And right now, the Eagles. Great that I don't Scraped away. Scraped away. I watched yeah, that, that fourth yeah, quarter. Dude, yeah, dodged a bullet. Yeah, because. Um, didn't Arizona miss a field goal at the end to potentially tie it? So, hey, some of those games are like that. You know, some some games are just barn burners. That was on Kyler, game. though. Kyler slid before the fourth down marker or before the first down marker. And yeah. because he slid, it was fourth down, and they had to spike it. So he slid on second, had to run back. He spiked it on third, so that only gave him an option with no timeouts. You had to kick the field goal, and he missed a 43-yarder. Yeah, but the kicker's got to make that field goal, though. That's it's the not, kicker that missed a field goal against the Colts when he was in uh, Kansas City. That same guy, Amendola, he needs to yeah. retire. You lost two games for two good teams. That you got to go. Got to be clutch, bro. If you just don't have it, you got you got to Hooked go. Hooked it, bro. Hooked it straight. But right. But yeah, just to kind of wrap up the the Giants part here. Four and one's a good start. I, right. I mean, not a start that I necessarily expected to see from them, but it's like I said, can they maintain this? And for me, could be bias, could be a little bit of hate, depending on how you see it. I just don't know if they have it for the long term, though. But for the first five weeks, can't hate on them. They've had, they've had a really good start. It's just there's going to be some teams that are going to push them. Can oh, yeah. they hold up? And, and I, my thing is, I think that's iffy. I think that's iffy at best if they can hold up. Just, I just don't have a lot of faith, you know? Yep. It, it really, it really is Daniel Jones. It, I, I, everybody else, and their wide receiver core, I should say too. It's just Daniel Jones and the wide receiving core. It's, it's weak, to say the least. Yeah. So we'll see what happens. But like I said, you know, good start for the Giants, though. Dude, this Cincinnati game is seventeen Cincinnati, sixteen Baltimore. Baltimore is driving up the field, and they are at Cincinnati's. 37 yard line with 56 seconds to go we all know justin tucker the most accurate kicker in nfl history has quite the leg and holds the nfl record for the longest field goal so they kind of just need to get it within the 40 yard line and try to say screw it just go for it and they're already within the 40 yard line with what is it first down and two more timeouts three timeouts no oh the two timeouts oh they're fine yeah all they got to do is just not get sacked yeah, so not have we'll see what we, we'll, we'll see what happens there. But more than likely, it looks like Baltimore is probably going to come out on top in this game, just because they, Cincinnati's defense is kind of shit in the bed. I mean, they've only given up 16 points. That's a pretty good performance. I meant like on this drive, like they oh, let no. Lamar Jackson break away for I think like a 20 yard run or something like that. Literally, like a few minutes ago. It's Lamar, so, bro. It's Lamar. I know, I know. I just you know, I really wanted the Bengals to win and continue to. Bounce back from their slow start. But anyway, we got another game we want to talk about, which is my boy, Kyle. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. 
Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Team, albeit they are playing with a third-string quarterback with Mac Jones and Brian Hoyer being out, and they shut out the league's best offense in the Detroit Lions. So, Kyle, I'm going to just let you have the floor with this one. What are your thoughts with the Patriots dominating the Detroit Lions 29-0? I'd say I was impressed from top to bottom. I mean, offensively, I thought Bailey Zapp had a solid game. I understand he had one interception. That was not his fault. Nelson Aguilar had it in his hands, and I mean, there's been running jokes about Nelson Aguilar not being able to catch the ball, and it popped up once again. Ends up going to Detroit with the interception. Outside of that, I thought Bailey Zapp was impressive. He, he was calm, cool, definitely showed some poise, definitely when the Lions were bringing some pressure against him. But overall, I, I thought he was fantastic. He did connect with Jacoby Myers uh, for that one touchdown that he had. Uh, overall, I thought Jacoby Myers had a fantastic day. And I definitely think that the Patriots missed him after he missed the last two weeks uh, dealing with a knee issue. And granted, uh, the Patriots have had a pretty difficult start. Uh, Mac was showing some inconsistencies early on before he got hurt. Uh, the defense was definitely showing some inconsistencies just based off of the fact that they couldn't slow down Aaron Rodgers and Lamar Jackson the last two weeks. Uh, Lamar Jackson really kind of gave it to that Patriots defense a couple weeks ago. But going up against Jared Goff and that high-flying Lions offense, I mean, they had the number one offense going into this game just based off of the fact that the Lions had to score at will because their own defense couldn't hold up on the back end. And it looked like the Patriots defense turned the Lions into like a high school football team. Like it literally felt like the Patriots defense was like a varsity level team going up against a freshman level offense just because Jared Goff and that Lions offense could not do anything whatsoever. And the Lions took their chances. The Lions went 0 for 6 on fourth down opportunities. I mean, they went for it on fourth down six times. It's kind of crazy that they went for it that many times and they could not get one conversion on any of them. I mean, when you look at what the Patriots defense did, they were just more physical at the line of scrimmage. They owned that battle at the line of scrimmage, and they maintained it the entire course of the game. Matt Judon had a great game. He had two sacks. One of them ended up being a strip sack that ended up being uh, the first touchdown of the game. And, I mean, at that point, the defense had really kind of held down New England at that point, and then New England's offense was able to get it going in the second half. Um, Ramondre Stevenson had a fantastic day. Uh, had over 100 yards rushing, definitely had some good breakout plays. I believe one play he had uh, around like a 30 to 40 yard scamper and then had another one later in the game around 30 yards. It was just that the offensive line for the Patriots, they just owned that line of scrimmage and they were able to just dominate that Lions front four from beginning to end in this game. This was as well-rounded of a win that I've seen from the Patriots in quite some time. Uh, this, This to me is the most resounding win that they've had this year so far. And, when it comes to the Patriots as a whole, they're still a relatively young team. Obviously, you know, Mac Jones going into his second year uh, went down with that high ankle sprain. I imagine he's probably going to come back within, I'd say, probably the next week or two. Uh, there were some possibilities that he could have played this week, but I think the Patriots are playing it a little bit safe with him uh, just until he's back at 100%. But when I look at the Patriots, this, this defense has really got to step up because, you know, you're playing with a third-string quarterback and... You don't necessarily know what the offense is going to be able to produce from here on out. It could be a mixed bag with Bailey Zapp. But from what I've seen so far from Zapp, he's been very solid in his time so far. Granted, this was his first start, and it ends in a shutout. 
It's a pretty good start as far as I see it. But there's still some issues with the Patriots. Uh, their defense is getting a little bit older, especially in the secondary. But if they could be able to carry this momentum from this win against the Lions, I'm not going to say like you know they're going to be like an instant playoff team. I think they still have a little bit of ways to go to get to that point. But I think this was a step in the right direction. And hopefully that the Patriots can build off of this and try to find some consistency from here on out. What can you say? Jared Goff and this team look to be unstoppable on the offensive side of the ball. We all know that their defense is the worst in the league, but scoring was never an issue. If anything, that's probably something they can do in their sleep from the first four weeks of the week of, of the year. And then you go and you play a team like the Patriots, like Kyle said, an aging team that runs the ball heavy because of their inconsistencies at the quarterback position because of the injuries the last two or so weeks. Um, the lack of breakaway receivers outside of Devontae Parker's, I think, what, first two weeks or something like that, Kyle? Jacoby Myers has been out of the system, like Kyle also said. And I know that that combined with the run game and just being able to create turnovers on the other side, make life a living hell. I mean, Jared Goff had a QBR of 6.6. That says enough for me who didn't watch this game to know that Jared Goff had no time to throw and anything that he did miss or was un wasn't able to complete was because of the pressure was because nobody was open and the Patriots were swarming when you run the ball for 176 yards averaging five yards per carry that milks the clock that keeps the ball away from Jared Goff and that makes sure that the offense has the capability to pass the ball efficiently because when you run the ball as efficiently as that play actions wide open Linebackers are going to bite down. Corners are going to hesitate. You're going to have open receivers in the middle of the field towards the sideline. It really depends on what, obviously, the Patriots dialed up. They did everything they needed to do. There's not really much else to say. When you go and shut out the best offense in the league, that speaks volume of your coaching staff because New England hasn't had the greatest start this season. I'm not saying that they're going to come back and win this division, but when Mac Jones comes back and they get a little bit healthier, I mean, I believe da uh, Damian Harris is out. He hurt his hamstring, right, Kyle? I don't know how long he's out, but that puts a damper in your running back room. Yes. Right? Yes. Yeah. He left no, the I, was just, I was just double checking. I, yeah. I think he left. I didn't know how long he was out. So that's why I, I didn't know if he came back. I didn't he, think he did. He, he left at the end of the first half. So, again, this team needs to get healthy. And at the end of the day, this just keeps them within distance of the Dolphins and, of course, the Jets, which are only a game away from them or a game and a half. Two the games Bills. away? The Bills, right? No, no, no. The, the Jets, Jets are 3-2 and two and the Dolphins are 3-2. and two. The Bills are 4-1. Okay. and one. Okay. So I'm just thinking of at least kind of being competitive. I don't think anybody's going to catch the Bills now that Miami has lost two in a row, albeit until Tua gets back. We have no idea what's going to happen with that. Uh, but the Patriots remain relevant, and they keep themselves afloat. And... You know, Dan Quinn's team finally gets shut out, shut down, and it, it, it's not looking good for them, man. As as much heart as they have, as much fight as they have, Dan they can't stop a nosebleed. And it just, you really feel for it. And I'm not one to say that you feel for a coaching staff. I'm not somebody that normally cares about coaches, but not even hard knocks. You saw last year when they got their first win and when Jared Goff was doing good and how hard they celebrated and how much he cried like on the podium, like how much he wanted them to win. People took that as soft, and I know that normally that's Kyle saying nobody really gives a shit. I'm going to be one of those people that says I lean with that kind of sentiment because of how hard the team fights for you and how much of a player's coach he is. The majority of the coaching staff for the Lions are former NFL players. So you know each and every rep that these people have in-game, in practice, outside of the facility and the weight room. 
they're giving it 130% of everything they can, but they just don't have enough pieces on the defensive side of the ball to go out there and make stops and create turnovers. So I feel for the Lions. I hope they find a way to turn it around. I hope that Dan Quinn doesn't... Dan Campbell. Not Dan, Dan Quinn. Campbell, excuse me. Quinn is the defensive coordinator in Dallas. I hope that Dan Campbell um, doesn't get the boot because I hope that the ownership sees how much they're fighting. It just sucks that it doesn't really matter how hard you fight. It's about how much you win. And uh, yeah, man, kudos to the Patriots. It's a huge, huge, huge win. I definitely did not see the Patriots shutting them out, let alone winning this game personally. I think overall, like when it comes to Dan Campbell's status as a head coach with Detroit, I mean, look, when it came to this game specifically, bro, their secondary got destroyed aside today. from okuda yeah no i'm not talking no no no. let me let me make sure i phrase this right i'm not talking about like they got destroyed by getting torched by the patriots receivers i'm not talking about that i'm talking about the injuries bro oh, at yeah. one point at one point five of their dbs had to be out of had to be taken out of the game just because of injury even jeff okuda was one of them so i mean they were just rotating through their secondary depth. I mean, at some point, I think they were just running rookies out there at one point. I mean, they were really thin in their cornerbacks, in their safety positions, just because guys were just dropping left and right just from these little injuries that popped up. Now, granted, some of them returned. It wasn't like all five of them, once they left the game, they didn't come back in. But it was just, it was literally just a rotating door of cornerbacks that were coming into the fold because they didn't really have that many people left because at a certain point, they were running rookies, you know, and the Patriots kind of took advantage of that because you got some experienced receivers going up against some rookie corners. That's a good, that's a good matchup to have. It's just overall, like when I look back to this game, I think just new England, just from a preparation standpoint, I think they just outclassed them. And it's not to say that Dan Campbell's a terrible, terrible coach. It just shows how good of a coach Bill Belichick is. And to me, this yeah. is one of those games where, you could tell the game plan, New England executed it damn near to perfection. And honestly, it got to the point where Detroit was essentially waving like the white flag by like halfway through the fourth quarter because they just couldn't, they couldn't convert on any of the fourth downs that they went for. They were 0 for 6. 0 for 6. And I, I know, I know, I know we no. talked about I know we talked about this before we started recording. I think just Bill Belichick knows how to prepare against Jared Goff because in the two matchups that they've had against Jared Goff, the Patriots have held him to three points. The only three points that they got was a field goal in Super Bowl 53 when the Patriots played the Rams a couple years ago. And it just seems like Belichick knows how to scheme against him perfectly. Because for those, for those of you listening, he's got a smirk on his face, a pretty nice little grin because obviously that was the last Super Bowl that this team won. So I'm just, I'm just letting you know, for those of you that see it, I know you see it, but the audio, they need to know. And obviously, if you guys are watching, I'm pointing to my guy. I know he's playing with Tampa, but he brought a six. Can't be mad about that. But you know what? I have to ask you this. I think, I've, I think we may have talked about this before. This is just a little side tangent. Had the Patriots lost that game to the Rams, based on the game itself, do you think that people would have used an L had Tom lost that game to the Rams in Super Bowl 53 against him? Or was it just such a boring game that it really wouldn't have mattered based on the circumstances of how the game played out? 
I think you, because it was I think I think because it would be Tom Brady, I think that the media would have blown it out of proportion. As per usual, oh Tom lost, Tom couldn't do it, he's too old, blah blah blah. You know what I'm saying? The narrative would have just went. Because yeah. remember, you have to also look at it. Jared Goff and Sean McVay at the time were very young. And I'm not saying that they're old now, but then you go and you compare it to Tom Brady being one of the older uh, quarterbacks, Belichick being one of the older. Oh, you guys got to get with the times. You know, you got to go. This isn't the same league that it once was. Or, Mm -hmm. you know, Brady and Belichick need to understand that this isn't the same um, type of offense that they need to run. They need to run a a McVay-style offense. The headlines would have been endless if he would have lost this, despite if it would have been a shootout, if it would have been a defensive game like it did, except you would have been on the other side. I don't think it would have made a difference, but I do think for a fact that the media would have 100% blamed Brady, even though this game was def- defense, defense, defense. Because, yeah, I mean, the final score of that Super Bowl was 13, 13 to 3. 13 to 3. Yeah. Kind of crazy, right? And, and the, the 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 funniest the, the the most ironic part the ironic part about that whole result was out of all the Super Bowls that the Patriots have won with Brady, that was the largest margin of victory in a Super Bowl where they won. Everything else was like three or four points in the games that they won. Because the first Super Bowl against the Rams, 20, 20 to seventeen, against the Carolina Panthers, it was thirty two to twenty nine. Philly, three. The Giants, when they lost, was three points. The second one against the Giants, they lost by four points. They beat the Seahawks by four. Seahawks by four. They beat the Falcons by six. Falcons, six. Yeah, oh my God, that's crazy. They lost to the Eagles by eight. I think that was 41 to 33. Then they beat the Rams 13 to three, and that was the largest margin of victory out of all the Super Bowl. You know, there was only 16 points scored. And yet, it was the largest margin of victory. I mean, that was just a masterclass from from Belichick as far as the defensive scheme went with. And honestly, it kind of played itself out once again in that Sunday matchup where the Patriots just basically just blew the doors off the Lions. And I don't want to hear anything about this Lions or like the number one offense. I understand statistically that they were, but I think that was just based off of the circumstance that, they, that their defense can't stop a runny nose, bro. Not even close. Nothing and, like that. It's a horrible... And honestly, I I thought that the Lions had some chances. They just couldn't execute on third and fourth down. They just couldn't. They got into the red zone a couple of times, but they just couldn't do it. And sometimes it happens. Sometimes you know, team locks you down. It happens. So what are you gonna do? Yeah, and, you know, it is what it is. So yeah. by I, the I, way, I, that 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 game went final. The Ravens Cincinnati game. Tucker kicks a field goal to win the game, nineteen to seventeen. So kudos to the Ravens. Good job. That was a very competitive game. Those AFC North games are always gritty. They're always tough. But uh, yeah, Baltimore sitting at what a three and two record right now. Yeah. Yeah. The the Bengals fall to two and three. It's it's the first week of October. It's it's tight. Everybody is, is two and three except for obviously the, the Ravens now that are three and two, and then the Steelers are. I poop, poopy. I, I the, the dude that Steelers poopy. game. I. I, I know we kind of like had our little moment with Kenny Pickett just because we think we think he might be a better option than than Mitch. I, bro, I don't think they have any good options right now. It's just, you lost by five tuts. Five tuts? Pretty bad. It's pretty bad. And Gabriel Davis absolutely like destroyed Minka. Yeah. The uh, best safety in the league that everybody likes to remind me of. You're still getting you're still getting the 
bunch of criticism over that still, but at least you get at least you get a little bit of shine to throw it back in their face today. A little bit, a little bit. But hey man, we got one more game to cover before no, we let, hit that baseball topic. Let, yeah, let me cover this one, bro. So I know we got a little we got a little bit excited when it came to the 49ers over the last couple of weeks. And I will say the 49ers had one hell of a performance on Sunday against the Panthers. Mind you, the game was in Carolina, so the San Francisco had to go on the road. And they just put an absolute beatdown on the Panthers. The 49ers won this game by the score of 37 to 15. Really, the 49ers got off to a great start. They scored 17 points in the first half, and then they just continued that momentum going into the second half. I mean, it was a runaway game. I mean, you're putting up 37 points up against the Carolina Panthers. It really seems to me that the 49ers are really hitting a good stride right now, and that's despite the fact that they lost Trey Lance for the year. And there are some questions about whether or not that Jimmy G could lead the 49ers uh, to a successful run. And as far as I see it, uh, Jimmy G has really stepped up, and obviously the running game has been a focal point as well, but the defense has been playing phenomenal. All in all, uh, the 49ers really look like a competitive team, not only in the NFC, but to a larger extent, the NFL. This, this is a team to definitely contend with moving forward. So, Kevin, to kick this one to you, how impressed were you by the 49ers just essentially beating the brakes off of the Panthers this past weekend? I'm not surprised. Uh, I'm not going to sit there and blow it out of proportion. The Panthers aren't exactly a good football team in any facet of the word. They have some good players at certain positions. You know, obviously they have DJ Moore, they have Christian McCaffrey, they have uh, JC Horn, they have, uh, what is his name? Chris Henderson, the cornerback out of UF. Of course, I'm going to forget his damn name and now it's going to drive me nuts. So I have to like scroll down and see if I can find it. But regardless, they have key players at specific positions, and outside of that, they are not a good football team. C.J. Henderson, that's what I was looking for. Woo, I got it. Thank God. Forgot my own freaking player. Um, and the, the 49ers do what they needed to do. Baker Mayfield ends up leaving this game with an injury and ends up being put in a boot to leave, so we'll keep you monitored on that injury, but Baker has not played well this season at all. P.J. Walker has to come in. He goes 5 of 6 for 60, but overall, in terms of totality, the 49ers had six sacks. Combined QBR of both quarterbacks was 69.1. They ran the ball for 3.8 yards per carry. What are we supposed to talk about here? The 49ers are one of the more dominant defenses in the league. They need to do this against bad teams, and they need to be able to dominate on the offensive side of the ball. When you have playmakers like Jeff Wilson, like Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, George Kittle, the list goes on and on and on and on of the talent that this team has. We know what Jimmy's going to bring you. At least I do, because all of you Jimmy haters are out here saying that he's trash. And with this win, he moves to 33-15 and 15 in his career against San Francisco. And in his totality of his career, because he got two wins with the Patriots, he's 35-15. and 35-15 and 15 as a starting quarterback in the NFL. Just going to put that out there for those that can't hear. I know that he lost in the Super Bowl, but the 49ers defense led up 17 points in the Super Bowl against Kansas City, so you can't really necessarily put all of it on him. Granted, he did miss Emmanuel Sanders by just a sliver of a hair in the end zone on that touchdown that would have obviously won them the game, but you know you have bad throws. That one was just a, a slight miscalculation. Overall, Jimmy Garoppolo's done what he's needed to do. Jimmy's done what everybody knows that he can do despite the hate, and he goes for 253 with two touchdowns, no interceptions, and with a passer rating of 109.4. I don't know what more people want. Jeff Wilson goes for 120 yards. They go as a team, 153 yards on the ground, two rushing touchdowns. What more do you want? 
How do you want them to? Do you need Jimmy to throw for 400 yards and five touchdowns, just like Cooper Rush says? Uh, just like you guys say Cooper Rush does? No. Jimmy's doing what needs to be done. He's getting acclimated in the playbook, and this is technically only his third game that he's got underneath him this season. What do you want from him? He came in the game late for he came in the game for Trey Lance in the second week. So this is his third full game, I'm saying. I'm tired of people giving this man nothing but hate because he's not able to win the big game. But you give Dak Prescott excuses. You give him a pass. Dak Prescott hasn't even seen a Super Bowl. Jimmy Garoppolo has been plays, like and I mean like handful of plays away from multiple Super Bowl appearances. He's been to one two NFC championships. Why do I have to keep going through these statistics? Jimmy Garoppolo is a better quarterback than Dak Prescott. I'm going to go out there and say it because I believe that with the pieces that this team has, he fits the role perfectly. He doesn't have to force anything. He doesn't have to become a player that he's not. He doesn't have to burden the shoulder and the weight of a franchise to go out there and win. They compete because they have a complete team within pass rush, linebacking core, secondary, running backs, wide receivers, tight ends, fucking special teams, and Jimmy Garoppolo. I'm tired of the hate. You got to beat bad teams to continue to prove to people that you're going to be something serious in this division. And now the 49ers are in first place. The Seahawks lost today. And obviously the Cardinals lost today. And the Rams lost today. Who is at the top yet again? Jimmy G. I'm tired of it. You guys need to relax. I'm not saying that he's going to go out there and win an MVP or that he's going to go and win the, the, the passing title for most yards in a season. But he does what he needs to do effectively, efficiently. And that's how you win football games. Bro, I'm going to keep it a buck. This might be the scariest team in the league right now. And granted, I know that their record doesn't indicate that because memory serves me right. The Eagles had the best record. But based on how they looked against the Cardinals, that was kind of a shaky performance by Philly. You can make a very good case just with the unit that the 49ers have on the offensive side of the ball, the defensive side of the ball. This is a team you do not want to go up against right now because I think they're really playing at a great level right now. Now, when it comes to Jimmy G and the offense, I'm not really worried about them because when it comes to Jimmy G specifically, Kevin, I'm with you 100% on this one. I don't really think that Jimmy has to carry this offense by himself because when I look at this personnel that they have at their disposal, this is a stacked team on the offensive side of the ball. They had Jeffrey Wilson in the backfield alongside Tevin Coleman. They also have uh, Debo sometimes running out of the running backfield sometimes, but you know, you look at their wide receiving core, you got Brandon Ayuk, you got Debo, you got George Kittle, Jawan Jennings. I mean, this is a solid offense to run with. And Jimmy is doing exactly what he needs to do. He's putting the ball where it needs to be placed. He's not turning the ball over. He's manning the game. He's managing the game extremely well. But to me, I think really the, the heartbeat of this offense it is their run game. And I think the biggest thing that we're not taking into account here, Kev, is their offensive line. Their offensive line has really stepped up over the last couple of weeks. And you can tell just with the way that Jeff Wilson is running, the amount of confidence that he has. I mean, look at some of these holes that he's getting. I mean, they're as wide as freaking parking spaces. It's just, you know, it's indicative of how effective he was against the Panthers here. 17 carries, 120 yards, had a touchdown as well. Seven yards per carry. I mean, that's baffling if you're going up against you know a team like the Panthers. And granted, I know the Panthers aren't that good, but it's like seven yards per carry. You're going to dominate no matter who you're going up against if you're putting up numbers like that. And not only that, you look at their defense. Their defense is playing just as well, if not 
right, even better than what their offense is performing. I just think that from top to bottom, this team is stacked. I agree that I know the record doesn't indicate that they're three and two, but I just think that they have the personnel to work with here. And if their defense is holding opposing teams to 10 to 15, 20 points per game with the way that this offense is playing, I'm telling you, there's a very good chance that, you know, the, the 49ers can really take this to somewhere deep in the playoffs this year. I don't know if they're going to get back to the NFC Championship game like they did last year, where they were just a couple plays away from getting back to another Super Bowl. If everybody could stay healthy and they're able to just maintain consistency, consistency throughout the year, watch out for the 49ers. I know a lot of people in the media have been really excited about them over the last week or so, but with performances like this, and if they can really play up to snuff against some higher caliber teams in the NFC, it's a good team to roll with. So definitely keep an eye on the 49ers. They're a really good team right now. They're someone you can't sleep on. Man, I'm, I'm serious. When they get healthy, and I know it's crazy to think that they're not, but you get Elijah Mitchell back and you split that, that, that workload with Jeff Wilson. If Nick Bosa can come back from whatever it is that he left the game with, I, again, I think it was a tight groin if I read it correctly. You need him back with your pass rush. This team is not to be trifled with. I say the phrase over and over because it's true, even though it's old as sin. If it ain't broke, don't, don't fix, fix it. it. They were competitive with this roster last year. What has changed? Nothing. Jimmy didn't have an offseason, and they're winning the NFC West right now. They're, they're leading the division. Like, I don't know what more people need. I think this, I, I, we mentioned it briefly last week, and Kyle and I are 100% on the same page. And you can call us old or outdated, which is crazy to us because we're in our 20s. Quarterbacks don't need 500 yards and mm -hmm. five touchdowns and 50 yards on the ground to be effective. This is a team sport. If you run the ball for 100 yards as a committee between two to three players, if the receivers don't have drop passes, if the quarterback doesn't throw interceptions, the defense is efficient. You don't need to have eight sacks, five interceptions, forced fumbles, and safeties. You just need to make stops on third down. You need to keep the opposing offense off the field. The 49ers symbolize a perfectly well-rounded team to win. They don't need a blowout. If they win by two points, a win is a win if everybody does their job. But the 49ers are obviously doing a lot more than that because their last two victories, they've been annihilating competition. In every facet of the word between defensive side of the ball, offensively they're scoring, they're moving the chains, they're limiting their turnovers, as well as they're not committing stupid penalties. This is a disciplined veteran football team that can seriously make some noise. And again, I understand we're in October. I'm not saying they're going to win the Super Bowl. Just like Kyle said, they're not going to go to the NFC Championship as of right now. But if people don't stop fucking around, this team could easily get to four or five games above 500 and start making some noise in the NFC because I'm looking at their schedule, right? I'm just looking at the 49ers schedule over the next coming weeks. And I'm seeing right now, they got the Falcons next week. Dub. Dub. They got a tough game against the Chiefs, but they're at home. That's going to be a big one. They play the Rams again. The way the Rams are playing, duh. They can win the, yeah, they can win that game. The Chargers, very inconsistent. They almost lost to the Browns today. And the way that they're playing with their injuries as well, between Joey Bosa, obviously Herbert's dealing with his injuries, Keenan Allen's been hurt. You can, and, and obviously they lost their left tackle Slater for the year. You can make an argument that that's a dub as well if San Francisco stays that, that'll healthy. Be a tough, that'll be, that could be a shootout, though. That one could be a shootout. I agree. You go into the Cardinals game. The Cardinals haven't necessarily showed me anything dub. of meaningfulness. Dub. 
Almost the Saints. Eagles, I almost beat the Eagles, though. Cardinals almost Saints, did it. Saints, dub. Miami is their next competitive opponent, and that's in December after the Chiefs. This team easily can go four or five games over 500 over the next month and a half. And we're going to have a whole different narrative unless Jimmy shits the bed. We understand that he has played bad in certain instances to where everybody wants to, let's throw in a rookie. Kyle, I have a question for you. This is another tangent, and I understand that this is a tangent in and of itself, but we're going to have a sub-tangent to my already current tangent. (laughs) Dude, I need to know your opinion. You're telling me because Jimmy didn't win a Super Bowl, but took you to deep playoff runs in his career, would you bet your franchise on an unproven rookie? In Trey Lance? Or just just a general rookie? In general. Would you trade up to get a rookie quarterback after you just came off of an NFC championship run? Nah. Does it make sense? Like, the 49ers front office doesn't make sense for that. I'm not bugging, right? No, I, I think... Well, I think when it came to the 49ers front office, I think they just really bought into Trey Lance. I think that was their point of emphasis. That's why they wanted him to run the team. And I've even seen reports about Trey Lance when he recovers from his ACL injury that the team is going to be his when he fully recovers. So they're of the, as far as I see it, based off of the reports that I've seen, unless that I missed something in translation here, Jimmy's not going to be the starter for them. Baffles after this my year, mind, bro. To, if, if, to, if, if they were to go another run, if they were to go to another Super Bowl run, win or lose, they go to the Super Bowl. Do you think that's the same case? What, where Jimmy would like they would give the team back to Trey instead of Jimmy? Yeah, I, dude, I, I, that I, would I, be I, four. I think that, that? I, they, they bought into Trey. I, I think they really stupid. bought into him. That's I, dumb. To me, here's the thing when I look at Jimmy G versus Trey Lance. Obviously, the, the thing that stands out about Trey is his athletic ability. And nobody disputes that. Trey is a better athlete than Jimmy. Right. But when it goes to overall quarterbacking, as far as I see it, Jimmy is still a better quarterback. He's a more experienced quarterback. Now, granted, have they won a Super Bowl with him at the helm? No. But there's no guarantee that you insert Trey into this situation. And you're automatically better. You're automatically going to go to the Super Bowl. That's not the case here. And as far as I see it, the way that Kyle Shanahan runs their system in San Francisco, they put a huge emphasis emphasis on running the football. And the one thing that I love about San Fran, because they're one of the very few teams that only does this, they run it with a fullback, with Kyle Juszczyk. Baltimore does it too. Bro, I'm telling you, the Patriots used to do it back in the day. I love the fact that the 49ers run up fullback because at least it gives you a lead blocker. If you have just Jeff Wilson in the fold or you have Elijah Mitchell in the fold, you know, if you're able to use that fullback to your advantage to open up and open up run lanes to eventually get up to the second level where Kyle Juszczyk can do that, man, that's huge. And the thing is, it works. I mean, it is tried and true. But a lot of teams don't really run a fullback anymore. But the system that Kyle Shanahan runs with that fullback system and the running backs that they have, the and they're all extremely athletic, they're running backs. I, I think it's a great combination. And you combine that with what Jimmy does. Granted, is Jimmy somebody that is going to really jump off the page? It's going to really excite you know, the fan base as a whole? Not really. But 
he gets it done. To. That's he gets thing. it done. He doesn't have to. To, to, to me, he, I, I think the 49ers front office doesn't want a game manager. They want somebody that is going to elevate that quarterback position to where, you know, from where it's at right now to a new level. They want somebody of like Aaron Rodgers caliber or Tom Brady caliber, somebody who's like a true number one quarterback. They don't see that in Jimmy. Now, I don't know if it's just based off of the fact that the relationship between Jimmy and the front office is frayed. And I mean, there was a boatload of trade rumors and possible trade deals where they were going to send Jimmy this past off season. Fortunately for them, they didn't do it because if they didn't have anybody behind uh, Trey Lance, if they ship Jimmy out, their next best option would have been Brock Purdy. I'm looking at their depth chart right now. That would have been their second string quarterback. Had Jimmy been traded this off season. So to me, the 49ers actually did a smart thing here by keeping Jimmy on the roster and not trading him. For me, they better bank right or they better bet right because if Trey Lance is their guy and he screws up, everybody in that front office deserves to get fired because you have Jimmy G. I think it's stupid. Because you got Jimmy G. Granted, is he somebody that's like a true number one quarterback, like a, a, a top tier quarterback? No. I look at him as someone like Brady was early in his Patriot days where Brady was perfect in the system that they ran but it wasn't just Brady they had good running backs back in the day they had reliable receivers to be able to throw to and their defense was stout I mean there were Hall of Famers on that defense you can make a very good case that there's Hall of Famers on this defense right now with Nick Boza Fred Warner I mean just to name a couple like they have the pieces here I just don't understand why this front office has this fascination of Trey Lance, simply just based off of pure athleticism. I mean, if he turns out to be the next greatest quarterback, like right alongside Patrick Mahomes, okay, good bet on them. But they better be right. I think it's too much of a gamble. That's what pisses me off. You're putting all this effort into someone that is unproven with no experience, and he played at... North Dakota North State. North Dakota State with Carson Wentz, who had his flashes of greatness, and now look at where he is. Shit. I'm going to keep well, coming at you, Carson. You did it to yourself. Um, right. Carson needs I'm a better just, offensive line. but I'm just J- saying, if if, if, if if Jimmy's doing what he needs to do, which is success, he ha- they haven't had success since Colin Kaepernick and Alex Smith. If this is what you have, consistent playoff runs. You're not talking about a wild card exit. You're not talking about, you know, fighting for a division and, and then losing in the last game of the year, <coughs> Carson. Um, you, you're literally just going to keep getting NFC Championship, divisional round, Super Bowl, and you're going to go bet on a on a kid that literally has played a, a limited, what I don't even know how many snaps he played. He played one full game in the league. <laughs> he got hurt last year. He got hurt this year. So it's already looking like durability is an issue. You're going to tell me automatically if Jimmy were to lead you to a Super Bowl win or lose, you're going to just hand the king the keys to the kingdom to a kid that literally can't stay healthy? Jimmy can't either. But holy shit, the only reason the 49ers are this good is because Jimmy Garoppolo is the quarterback. There, there's it's other not close. There's other factors. There's other factors than just but the I'm reason saying, why they're if succeeding. If you throw in that third string a quarterback, do they win games? He's unproven as... No. The answer is no. No. No, exactly. No, not as consistently. No. 
No. Nick Mullins, C.J. Beathard, all these quarterbacks that came in and replaced Jimmy. The 49ers were not able to win when Jimmy Garoppolo was off the field because when he tore his ACL, when he hurt his wrist or his whatever the hell else he hurt, they couldn't win. And then Jimmy gets back, and they fucking win. The bottom line as a quarterback is to get wins, not to throw for 50,000 yards in a season, not to throw for 85 touchdowns. It's to fucking win and jimmy is a winner that's it that's the discussion that's where it ends so people saying trey lance is better give me something that show give me something that's not college related you can't yeah. <laughs> you're going off of a whim oh well, he looks great in practice or he looked great in the preseason he had one good throw in the preseason and his stats were mediocre look it up you guys are asshats if you're betting on a guy that's literally done nothing in the NFL as opposed to a man that's done three deep postseason runs in four years. And if they do it again, that's four out of five years you've made the postseason with a guy that you're willing to throw in the recycling bin because you want to take a gamble on a I, mobile quarterback. I mean, I I mean, I mean, knew that Jimmy was going to be a decent quarterback you know, based on his limited time as a starter with New England. Granted, Injuries kind of became an issue. I think in one of the games, he ended up spraining his shoulder. I think it was against the Dolphins. I think Jacoby Brissett had to take over for that game specifically. But no, I saw plenty of flashes from Jimmy to point to me, or at least to prove to me that he was going to be a decent quarterback. I don't know if he was going to be like, you know, the greatest quarterback that we've ever seen. I'm not saying anything like that, but I had definitely seen enough towards like, there's something that could definitely be worked here with him being consistent. And when it comes to Jimmy's status with the 49ers, obviously we'll see what happens as the season goes along. I wouldn't necessarily just give up Jimmy, you know, for Trey yet. I mean, if, if the 49ers go on a really good run here where they're competing not only for a division title, but they're possibly competing for a conference title and possibly for a Super Bowl, I, I don't know if we're going to pull the trigger on Trey yet. I don't know why. I just I, I can't. I to me, I, unless they think that they Doesn't can get good value for Jimmy in return. Clearly, but, they didn't get anything this offseason. I mean, granted, but, he was hurt because he had shoulder surgery, which is another but, injury that people need to be mindful of. I'm just saying it but, doesn't but, make but sense. It's, but it's like, you know, if you're going to give up Jimmy, what are you going to get in return? I, I mean, when I'm looking at this, you're not getting personnel. Yeah. it's I, Looking at this defense, this defense is fine. Like, Personnel-wise, they're good. Offensively, they're fine. Their offensive line is... Oh, out. they're also missing the best tackle in football. Trent Williams is out. So that's another person people need to be mindful of, that when he gets back, the holes are going to open up even more for freaking Jeff Wilson, and Jimmy is about to be basically protected like freaking the, the, the well, CIA. He's well, about well, to be guarded like a, like a, like a chief. Yeah, it's basically going to be like the Secret Service prote protecting a president. Like, you know, it's it's not even a question. Trent Williams like, is a beast. I know, I know. We've kind of dragged out the whole 49ers segment, but I just no, had to. I, I just had to ask, man. It was just it's bothering me since we made that Jimmy TikTok last week, and people were coming in and out and saying stupid shit. And then I asked a couple of my friends, and they were like, "Yo, Jimmy's ass," and I'm like. Bro, what sport are we watching? Like, are y'all watching the same thing that I'm watching? Because well, I don't. Well, I I think in large part it's based off of expectations. I think people don't really have the highest expectations with Jimmy, because well, let's face it, is he really necessarily lighting it up every time he steps out on the field? No, no. But I don't necessarily see that as a bad thing. I mean, as far as I see it, the way that Jimmy plays, 
is similar to the way that Brady played earlier in his career, and they won three Super Bowls. Now, granted, they had a really good defense to help help out, but Brady wasn't really a gunslinger in his first three or four years in his career. That didn't really pop off until 2007. So the way that they run that system um, in San Francisco with Kyle Shanahan, uh, Kyle Shanahan at the helm, I think it's perfect. I think it's well-balanced. They, they run the ball effectively. They pass the ball effectively. As long as they don't turn the ball over, they're straight. They have a very good offensive system over there. The only thing is whether or not that, that can propel them to another a- NFC Championship appearance or another Super Bowl run. Super Bowl is going to be tricky. But I think that they have the pieces to make it possible. So, I mean, we'll kind of see how it goes. But, I mean, overall, I think the 49ers are in a really good position right now just based off of every team in the NFC West losing this past weekend. So, all the other teams in the division kind of did them a favor. So Pretty much. It just, I think really kind of the biggest thing that I could take away with with the NFC West at this point is just the fact that the Rams have looked so bad. Awful. I just, I didn't see it happening. I thought I the Rams, did. I thought the Rams were going to be three and two or four and one at this point, but sitting at two and three and they look like hell right now. So, Thanks. and the 49ers, I think they're just, I think they're, they're getting it together. I think they're, I think they're set up for a great run in October. You know, I mean, I guess we'll find out, but, you know, I think they're in the driver's seat right now. So with that said, uh, we are going to transition into some baseball discussions. And now that the MLB playoffs have started, uh, the wild card round in the AL and the NL have come to a conclusion. And now we have the NLDS and the ALDS matchups already set. So just to kind of give you guys the slate uh, for these uh, playoff matchups, uh, we'll start in the ALDS. Uh, we got the Seattle Mariners going up against the Houston Astros. After that, we have the Cleveland Guardians going up against the New York Yankees. In the NLDS, we have the Philadelphia we have the Philadelphia Phillies going up against the Atlanta Braves. And then to round out the NLDS, we have the San Diego Padres and the Los Angeles Dodgers. Obviously, we got some great matchups here. Uh, Kev, let's not waste any more time. Now that the ALDS and the NLDS matchups are set up. How do you see these matchups playing out over the next couple of days or so? I am excited. Uh, I will say that I'm surprised with the outcome of the wild card for a lot of these matchups. I definitely did not see Seattle coming out on top against Toronto. I definitely did not see Tampa losing to Cleveland. I 100% did not see the Philadelphia Phillies beating the Cardinals with the historic season that they've had, the emotional ride that they've had with Yadier Molina, Wainwright, and Pujols probably hanging up at the end of this year. And then what did I say? The New York Mets, they did it again. They fucking met it. Queens, you can kiss my ass. You know your place in New York. Go back to the borough. You ain't worth shit. Go back. I'm done. I'm over it. You guys do this every year. I'm sorry. I'm going on a rant. Every year, you're like the Dallas Cowboys. We're going to win the NL East. We're going to go to the World Series. You couldn't win your division. You choked against Atlanta. Oh, we're in the Wild Cup. They don't have Tatis. Juan Soto's been trash. Yeah, no, you guys sucked. You're lucky you got a game yesterday, and the Padres did what they needed to do, and they smoked you in Queens. I have had enough with Met fans thinking every year is their year. You know what's crazy? As a Yankee fan and as a person that knows a fuck ton of Yankee fans back home, dude, I can't even, we don't talk about the Mets because we don't care about the Mets. We talk more shit about the Phillies 
and we don't even play the Phillies, but because you guys love to have our names in your mouth and because you guys like to say, yo, we're, we're run New York. We've been in a World Series more recently than you, which, by the way, you choked and shouldn't have against the Royals 2015. Neither here nor there. We're talking about one of the most laughable franchises over the course of the last 20 years because you haven't won anything meaningful and you have not participated in a World Series outside of the Royals one since you played us in the World Series in 2000. Every year you do this, maybe you should stop. Maybe you should just keep quiet until you win something. Maybe you should stop talking until you make it out of the wild card. The Yankees could get swept by the Guardians right now. We made it farther without playing the wild card. At least we won our division. So, Met fans, cut it out. Go back and relax. Enjoy golf. Enjoy football. Whatever it is you people do in the offseason, because clearly you're more comfortable there than we are, because at least we're consistently in the playoffs trying to make some noise. So, now that I got that out of my system, Sorry, Kyle. Um, I think that these are going to be interesting matchups. Obviously, I'm going to start in the NL and then work my way back to the AL. The Dodgers and the Padres, that's a division rivalry right there. We all know that the Padres and Dodgers always have incredible series, incredible matchups, whether that's internally three-game series in the regular season, postseason history, it doesn't make a difference. These two teams play each other very well. I think the Dodgers come out on top solely because they're one of the best teams right behind Houston in terms of the best team in baseball. They have the lineup, they have the pitching staff, and I just think that the bats are a little too inconsistent when it comes to playing San Diego. It showed when they played the Mets the other day, they just couldn't get it going, and the other two games, they were on fire. You can't take a day off against the Dodgers. You cannot afford to have an off day against that pitching rotation because once any of those people get into a rhythm, especially Kershaw and those boys, it's hard to come out of. <coughs> excuse me. So then I have the Dodgers move. Excuse me again. Moving on. The Phillies, they were the last team to clinch a playoff spot. It's weird. They have the momentum because they just beat a team that they had no business beating. Bryce Harper looks very good. I... I think Atlanta wants more. Atlanta had a really rough stretch in the summer months, and they found a way to turn it around in late July, early August, to take the division away from the Mets. And I think that they're going to be able to continue to ride that postseason success that they had last year. I know that they lost Freddie Freeman, but I do have them coming out of this matchup because I think they are a better team. Once again, it is another division rivalry because they both play in the NL East. Both teams know each other well. I just think Atlanta is better equipped to go the distance and go and take on the Dodgers in the NLCS. Going into the bottom quadrant of the ALDS, I have the Mariners and the Houston Astros. I hate the Astros, but I know that they are the best team in baseball. I know that they're probably one of the best well-rounded teams in baseball. And I think that the Mariners, they had their run. They had a very emotional comeback against Toronto, and they came back from, I think, what, 8-1, to one, and they ended up winning that game to move on to the next round. So I know that they're hot, they're excited, they haven't been in the playoffs in the last 20 years, but I have no reason to believe that Houston is going to choke this away and throw it basically out of the freaking window to lose to a team that's young, inexperienced, they haven't necessarily done anything meaningful over the last couple of years. They've come close to making the playoffs, but again, this is the first time they've made it in 20 years. So I'll safely take Houston. Now with the Yankees, bias aside, this is going to be complicated for me because I know that we own Cleveland in the playoffs over the last couple of years. I know that for a fact that we tend to beat them up in the playoffs in either the wild card or the DS. I can't trust Garrett Cole. My biggest fear is that Garrett Cole, who is officially announced to start game one, 
he just gets rocked in the postseason quickly. He gets rattled. He tends to fall apart really fast, and he gets uh he gets unraveled. He gets unraveled early in games. He does settle in the third and fourth innings. It's just those first two to three innings. He just struggles, whether that's a pitch that's leaning high, a pitch that he misplaced, or, you know, a hitter actually just puts the ball out and, you know, Garrett paints the picture as perfectly as you can. But for whatever reason, he just can't do it in the postseason with the Yankees. So I'm nervous that game one is going to be the most difficult game of the series because when Cole starts a series, it always starts off rough. And the Guardians, let's be honest, they did what they needed to do against Tampa. Obviously, they went 15 innings in their last game, so it was a bit of a struggle. I know that the Yankees are one of the most powerful, if not the most powerful team in terms of hitting home runs in the league. So if we can get into a rhythm, Judge, Stanton, Trevino, Bader, it's going to be one of those games where it could end up being, or series that it could be blown out of proportion, or it could very well be one of those where we go stagnant. The Yankees are a very inconsistent team as well. We all know the second half of the season that they had where they were leading the division by 16 games. It went all the way down to four and a half. They ended up blowing it back up to nine. They're just very weird. They're very weird. If we get the Yankees of the first half, we should be fine. If we get the Yankees of the second half, I'm going to shit my pants. But I will say that I have the Yankees coming out of this round and facing the Houston Astros in a rematch for the ALCS. I'm glad you got all the pettiness out of the way. Does Does it feel good? Feel good. It does feel good. I feel great. I mean, yeah, I mean, for me, I, you know, when it comes to these matchups, uh, Kev, I really don't see it playing out any other way than how you outlined. You kind of stole my thunder from me. So I'm honestly just going to kind of roll with you uh, when it comes to how these uh, series play themselves out. Um, I mean, I have to say, you know, just, just looking at just the slate here, I think the one team that I just think that is probably geared for a World Series run. I think to me it's the Dodgers. Dodgers were just extremely impressive this year, winning over 110 games, and they were consistent throughout the entire year. It's not like they hit a wall or they had a major slump throughout the year. You could say that about the Yankees. The Yankees hit a major lull right after the All-Star break where, Kev, that division lead went from like 18, 19 games to at one point three, three or four. So now granted the Yankees were able to get it get it together towards the end of the year. They were able to win the division. They were able to kind of stabilize after there was like a good month, month and a half stretch where they were just inconsistent, really inconsistent. But yeah, it just it, to, to me the way that I see it is just the Dodgers are just they're just loaded. Like you said, they have the pitching staff, they have the bats. If they just go out there and execute, I have no reason. Uh, to see really any other team outside of maybe the Astros that can really give them a run for their money here. I just, I, you know, granted, I know you're a diehard Yankees fan, but I mean, even if the Yankees were to hypothetically make the World Series and they were to play against the Dodgers, I, uh, Dodgers is going to be nuts. That, it's that would be, be scary. Nuts. It'd be scary. The Dodgers are nice, man. Dodgers, not, that would be nuts. It's not, it's, not, it's not to say the Yankees aren't nice. It's just, they might just have a little bit more than you guys. If that was the case, I don't really exactly. If you know, yeah, I, I yeah. see, I personally see us losing to Houston in the ALCS if we make it out of this round because I just, I don't, we can't play the Astros. We just, I don't know what it is. I don't they know have if your it's number. The fact that we can't shake 2017. We yeah, I know you can't, you still can't. I'm saying. I'm saying in general, I don't know what it is because we can't beat them ever. We lost to them in the playoffs, what was it, two years ago. 
we also just could not get it together in any regular season matchup against them. We'll win a, one game out of three, and then we'll lose the next like six in the rest of the season. I, I, I don't understand it. They have our number. It is what it is. The only upset I could potentially see, and I say this wholeheartedly, and I will say I think the Mariners, because of the dramatic outcome that they just had, that emotional ride, it's always the hot team going into the playoffs that finds a way to stun. I mean, look at the Phillies. They, they were the last team to get in, and they beat the Cardinals two games in a row convincingly. Now, I'm not saying it was a blowout or anything, but they, they did what they needed to do. And obviously, I just I have no faith in the Padres just because they two of their best hitters aren't available. And I, I know that Juan Soto's there, but he hasn't been the same since he left Washington. So we'll see what happens. I, I think that that's going to be the marquee matchup for me. I think that Seattle might surprise. I think, what is this round, out of five? Or is this out of seven? I think this is out of five. I believe it's out of five. Let me pull it up just so I have the number. Because I know numbers. that the playoff whole thing has changed with the formatting and whatnot and the wild card. Instead of it being one game, it was best out of three. It is a best so, of five. So so it's the best of five. I wouldn't be surprised if Seattle forces this to go to five games. Now, if Houston were to sweep them straight 3-0, that's not going to surprise me at all. I'm just saying if I had to pick a series to monitor, I would not be surprised if Seattle found a way to push this. Do you think there's a possibility where you guys get upset? The Yankees get upset? 100%. Dude, we're, we're, we're way too inconsistent. There are weeks where we go five in a row. Then there are weeks where we go one in four. There are weeks where we cannot hit the baseball. There's weeks where we cannot pitch. It, we are just the epitome of a roller coaster throughout the year. We had everything in the first half of the year where we looked like we were a definite World Series win. That second half of the year scared the shit out of me, man. And I know that we didn't end the season on the greatest of notes. We we ended our last 10 games going 5-5. Five and five. So I definitely wouldn't be surprised if we got upset. I'm picking us because of bias, because I know that we're a better baseball team than the Guardians. And I know that when we play them in the playoffs recently, we have done what we no- we've needed to do. If we were to get upset, I'd be furious. But again, with how we've played this season, up, down, up, down, wouldn't knock me at all. Yeah, it's just, I think when it comes to the Yankees, there's going to be a lot of pressure when it comes to, if you guys fall short, what's going to happen with Judge? That That's going to be the I burning think, question I, for you guys I, I this offseason. I think Cashman said today or yesterday in an interview, uh, you know, like a postseason interview or whatever, um, the free agency period is going to be a gold mine, quote unquote. That's like literally what he said for Judge. I don't know if that means gold mine from us, like wheelbarrows of gold, or if that means he feels that he's going to get offers from everybody in the MLB. What do you think? To be honest, we have to win to keep him. It's the only way. I, I, I truthfully. Because of how the conversation talks ended, because of some of the comments he's made throughout the year, he's refusing to talk about it. Cashman's been stingy with wanting to pay one player, obviously since the A-Rod situation and committing with that Jacoby Ellsbury contract a couple years back as well. Obviously giving their their entire life savings for freaking Garrett Cole. I don't know if they're going to break the bank on him. He obviously declined a $214 million deal last year, and he's getting upwards of 300 Like, it's going to start negotiations with a three in front. And if it goes anywhere under that, he's not even going to feel the conversation. So we have to get decent. We have to at I, least make the CS, and it has to be competitive for him to want to come back. If we lose the DS and not even make it to the CS, he's going to be like, bro, why am I here? I, I'll say this. I, I Bro, you say a three. I'm thinking more like a four. 
I w- I'm saying that's what it. That's what Jeff the, Palantonio, all these baseball analysts are saying. Like, like everybody says that the contract is going to start with a three in the front. That could be three eighty. That can be three ninety five. Like I'm I not think, saying it's going to be three hundred five. I, I think bare minimum, it's going to be three twenty five, three fifty, and that's going to be the starting point. That's what I'm I, saying. A, a minimum of three hundred million that yeah, will start it. Like I'm yeah. not saying three hundred five. Like I said, because because Juan Soto got what a fourteen year offer for over four hundred million. 15 year, yeah, something like that. Somewhere around there. I mean, I had a four in it, 405. Actually, it could have even been higher. It could have been like 445 or something. It was, it was a ridiculous offer. It's because he said no because it lessens at the back end and because he was his annual salary would have been under $30 million a year. It looked big in totality, but he would have lost a lot of money. Like he could get more yeah. money up front in an extension with the Padres, which he did. If you guys were to resign Judge, how do you think it would go down? To be honest, he wants that ten-year commitment. I'd I'd bolster the contract number. I'd give again. I'm not going ten because he's already thirty, turning thirty-one. I'd give him. I'd 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 give him eight for three seventy-five. I don't know numbers. I'm just saying you'd be paying him somewhere around forty-two to forty-three mil a year, or for uh, forty-five, probably more like forty-five at that case. He he bet on himself, damn near won the Triple Crown, is going to win an MVP, broke an all-time AL record, which was held by another Yankee in home runs in a year, and led the league in RBIs. And he he's... rightfully earned a contract that's going to break the bank, and I think if the Yankees are smart, you give more money and you cut back the years and you leave that last year or two or whatever the hell, however you have to work it to where you can trade him or dead cat money falls off, do what you have to do, man. Cashman has to make it happen. You have to put in at least an effort so New York doesn't implode. You're talking about your captain. He's he not even cap- our certified captain. He is, but he's not, unfortunately. Who doesn't would you have desi- a C. Who would you designate as the captain, then? There's no captain since Jeter. We have not had a captain. For, like, symbolic purposes? Don't know. I, I know. Man, man I... I guys, don't understand you, it either. You, you guys let him walk. If the Yankees let him walk, I think I think the Bronx may actually riot and like break into Brian Cashman's house. You're not you're not advocating for violence, but I'm not. I'm saying I think I know my borough, and I think I know that people are going to go into Yankee Stadium opening day, win or lose the postseason, and they're going to say Aaron. Judge, they're going to boo the shit out of the Yankees. I think at that point it'd be kind of well deserved. I, I mean, look, I like, don't deny it. If the Yankees put up a decent offer and they just get outbid, then so, I can live with that because if somebody off, if we go like if, hypothetically, if we go three seventy five, right, eight years, nine years, whatever it is, and someone hits four fifty, I'm not competing with that, bro. I'm not giving you half a billion dollars at thirty years old. I'm sorry. Yeah, you would have no Can't. problem with that. You'd have no, no problem. It's like, it's like at that point, no. it's like, hey, the market beat us. Yeah, it, it, bro, we gave Garrett Cole three twenty nine or three thirty, whatever the hell that, did, and he has not done anything meaningful for us. He got our freaking single season strikeout record. Whoop de fucking do! Like, what does that do? You you suck in the playoffs. You suck against the Red Sox. Like our most important games, even if we suck, we need to beat the Red Sox. That is our bread and butter. That is what makes Yankee fans happy. You can't play in Boston and you can't beat the Red Sox as a unit. You're not doing good in the postseason. You've done nothing meaningful, and you are getting paid the most money on this team. I cannot acknowledge him as our ace right now because he ended the year 13 and 8. James Taillon was like, I think, 
15 or 14 and four. Nestor Cortez had 14 wins as well. Like Luis Severino came late and he was like eight and three. A lot of pitchers on our staff are better than Cole this year, but because Cole's getting paid that amount of money, you got to start him at the, at, at the one. So anyway, Aaron judge is going to see a big number from everybody saying the angels, the Mets, the Yankees, and another like another LA team. I wouldn't be surprised if the Padres go out there and they throw something at him as well. Dude, he's from the West Coast. West Coast teams are going to try their hardest to go out there and get him. I'm not surprised if he were to end up in Queens because the Mets owner is that crazy. I I just I really 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 don't know. It just based on this is a hunch that I have. I think that you're thinking he goes, he leaves. hundred, Yeah, I, I think he probably walks. Unless we win a World Series, which then I don't know if he gives a hometown discount or he just wants to win again. I don't see him staying. Personally. That hurt. It, it would hurt. It would kill me inside, but that is all Brian Cashman's fault for lowballing him. You dare, How the fuck do you offer him 214? What? 250 at least, goddammit. 214? What? It's a low number, bro. That's what I'm saying. It's a low so number. it is what it is. We'll Home see boy. what happens. Homeboy we'll used, we'll used it as fuel this year, bro. 62 home worked. runs. And it worked. So, guys, we're, uh, we're coming up on just about two hours here. Um, Kyle and I have rambled on enough for tonight. Um, Kyle, uh, I'm going to let you one, take this one out just because I know that we have a couple of things coming up this week. I know you got a wedding this weekend. I'm going to be out of town this weekend, and I don't come back until Monday night. So it's it's gonna be uh, quite the busy week. Yeah, it's just, um, I mean, we'll probably talk a little bit off air about how we're gonna plan for the rest of the week, but uh, we'll have something planned for you guys for the end of the week. Um, we just don't know how it's gonna work out, but we'll see what we can do. Um, yeah, it's just really for the next week. It's just you know, Kevin and I are gonna have pretty busy schedules, but I mean, as far as I see it, um, the content's still gonna be rolling regardless. So. Yeah, there's not going to be any shortage of that. So, uh, no, just uh, appreciate you guys tuning in. I, I say it all the time. I sound like a broken record, I know, but uh, whether you guys listen to us on the audio platforms or on YouTube, we definitely appreciate the support. Obviously, um, I, I talk definitely. I guess there's been getting a lot of traction the last couple of days or so. So, uh, we definitely appreciate you guys tuning into our TikTok page and. Uh, enjoying our content and it's just really I, we are really glad that you guys are enjoying the content that we're giving to you guys and uh, hopefully that support continues and um, that's pretty much all I got to say uh, Kev you can take this one out bro alright well ladies and gentlemen we appreciate the support we can get it um, Kyle and I will keep you updated on what's going on throughout the week obviously I don't leave till Thursday afternoon so obviously we're going to still have our power rankings coming out Monday or Tuesday we're going to still have our winners and losers of the week yada 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 so you'll still see us in trickles you may not see us on a full episode like we normally do on Thursday Kyle might have maybe a half episode if he can but again we'll play it out as we go but We'll uh, keep you updated, and we hope you guys have a great rest of your week, and we'll see y'all soon. Yep. See you guys later. Welcome to Ringside with Ray and Prince. My name is Ray Leonard Jr. Oh, that's his dad? No, that's just my dad. My name is Prince Daniels Jr. Daniels again with a big on this show, we come to humanize athletes, entertainers, business executives. We're going to see what makes them tick. Tuesdays, 10 a.m. Pacific time on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, and wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you there. Peace and power.
Electricast. Welcome to Sarah Talk Solutions. Ladies and gentlemen, you've tuned into a bit of a different type of show. I'm Sarah B and I'm your host. You can find me on my IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. I talk about amazing, relevant conversations and topics and what functions that goes on in this magical, wonderful, wonderful city of the City of Angels. My IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. Electric acid.